0: Welcome to the Evocative Exchange, where we meet with go-getters who have that X-factor, a way of meeting today's challenges with bold and evocative solutions. We'll share what keeps these experts thinking, thriving, and feeling inspired in design, entrepreneurial life, healthcare marketing, and beyond. Today's guest on the Evocative Exchange is Danielle McDonough, athletic mindset coach at Peak Performance. Danielle is a former Division I and professional athlete who attended Providence College on a full athletic scholarship for ice hockey. Today, Danielle helps athletes build the confidence they need to consistently perform to their full potential, both physically and mentally. Welcome, Danielle. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I want to get started with a little bit about your background and how it's led you to this point in your career. And and also mention that sports psychology is just a really interesting field. And I'm I'm interested to hear everything about it. (laughs) Yes, it is fascinating.
1: And I love that it's, it's coming out more and more now. When I was actually going to school for my master's degree, um, it wasn't very well known. I mean, the Olympic athletes were using sports psychologists, uh, but very much on the down low. So I love that it's, it's, it's coming out now and more people are using them it's, it's, and speaking out about it. So it's awesome, yeah.
0: So let me find out just a little bit, a career is never a straight path. So you went to college, you played professional hockey, just give us a little bit of the continuum or timeline. Yeah, so I usually always start sort of at the beginning, because it
1: kind of helps to give the full picture of who I am and why I kind of got into this field. Um, So I I'm originally from Anaheim, California, born and raised, but two Canadian parents. So my parents actually moved down to Southern California after they got married um, and being Canadian, they got my brother and I involved in hockey really young. I think my brother was about four and I was maybe five or six.
0: There's no surprise there, Danielle. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes, right. I know it's kind of like a rite of passage,
1: I think, uh, as Canadians, for sure. But I you know there was no option for girls hockey down here at that time. So I played with boys uh, from the ages of five until 18 until I left for school. So that was full contact. I was the only girl on my on every team I played on and usually the majority of the teams we played against um, so there there that's a whole other story <laughs> sports psychology um you know haven there uh, but i when i was like 13 years old is when team california was created um, and essentially it was these two guys who found all of the girls who were playing hockey with boys in the entire state of california which is a gigantic state um, and made this one team a 19 and under team and our wow. sole purpose was to just go to the east coast to play in these tournaments um, so that we could be seen and hopefully recruited by colleges because no that's one- incredible. Yeah, no one knew me <laughs> about here. So, so that's kind of how I ended up being recruited and I went to school, um, you know, Providence College and so on and so forth and played professionally after that. But uh, when I moved home is when I got back into school, went, went and got my master's degree. And I've been working with athletes on the mental side of performance ever since. And the reason I give the full story is because I uh, literally, as an elite athlete myself, And going through what I went through, I've literally been through it all. I've seen it all. I've done it all. I've experienced it all. So whatever the athletes are going through that I'm working with, (laughs) I've gone through it myself. And so to be able to kind of now teach them the tools to be able to move past it so much quicker than I ever was able to, it's just kind of a really come full circle moment for me. And it's just, you know, it, it it lights my soul on fire, I guess you could say.
0: (laughs) It's wonderful to be so well suited to a career. And there's something that you said earlier about the fact that this was an all new situation. And so you probably didn't come up expecting to play hockey in college or expecting to go on to play professional hockey like the kids today are preparing for that when they're 10. I am so glad that you brought that up. (laughs) I have talked about this
1: so many times with colleagues and coaches and other parents. You're absolutely right. I mean, when I was playing, I was playing simply purely because I loved the sport. I loved it so much. It was so fun. It wasn't until I started on Cal Selects, California Selects, when I was 13, 14 years old, that I even knew that there were options for right. females to, to receive a scholarship to go play hockey in college. Know. So from the ages of five to 13, it was literally just all about fun. And what I'm seeing happen now in the current sport mm-hmm. culture, just like you said, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of being pushed upon these kids younger and younger and younger. And it creates a lot of stress and pressure um, and a lot of longer term issues, if you will.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's like a business, right? So if a student can get tuition to college and even a full ride room and board, and then they have a career all lined up, I mean, this, it seems like life is set, but at such a young age, like you said, if, if the fun goes out of it, if the, if the love for the sport isn't the primary driving factor, then you can, you can deal with burnout, which I, I know you're going to talk about, um, you know, in our interview. Mm-hmm, absolutely. So let's start here. This is mental performance training. You are an athletic mind coach. Can, mm-hmm. can you talk a little bit about who's using these services? Yeah, absolutely. So the,
1: like I mentioned before, the, Olympi- the Olympians have been using mm-hmm. sports psychologists and uh, mental performance coaches for a long time um, back when I was in college, maybe even before that is when I kind of first started hearing about it. Um, professional athletes are starting to utilize them more now. And we know that because they're starting to come out and talk about it. Um, right. Nathan McKinnon, who I just kind of talked about what he was just playing in the Stanley cup finals. He just came out and talked about how he started using a sports psychologist and he just completely changed his entire game. He wow. wasn't scoring as much as he was in the past. And as soon as he started using the sports psychologist, it just completely transformed. So I love that they're talking about it more and more because it is so important um, to understand that it's not just something for Olympians and professional athletes. Um, I'll give you an example, Tiger Woods, actually, although I don't know when he started to use a mental performance coach, but his dad started to do little sort of mindset mental performance training with him when he was seven years old amazing yeah he would be going into his his you know his swing and his dad would like jiggle change in his pocket or drop something on the the grass right next to him right and so he'd have to kind of deal with that distraction while he was mid-swing so in my opinion um i recommend starting to do this type of work as soon as possible. I'm doing it with, wow. my, with my kids now. So and they're very young.
0: <laughs> so it's interesting because I know hockey ice hockey in particular is pretty expensive sport. Mm-hmm. And so to layer on top of that, this type of training when it's, it's maybe not, it doesn't seem like it's, it's necessary or that it, it's a must. It's like more of an extra, it's more for the elite. So if, if a parent thinks, okay, wow, this is great and I want to do it, like, at what age, like, where should they budget? Like, this is, this is something that's really going to help the athlete. Like, what's the youngest that they should be considering starting this with a professional like you?
1: Yeah, and that's a good question, too. And I think it just depends on the child. Um, I've worked with kids as young as seven and adults as old as 54. Um, So it it, it all depends on the child and where they're at, uh, emotionally speaking. Mm -hmm. Um, That seven-year-old that I worked with was very... Uh, had a high emotional intelligence. um, Mm -hmm. So was able to handle this type of training. It's not for everyone who's super young. Um, And I think that a lot of parents too want to sort of make sure that this is quote unquote, the real deal for them. And I, and I, I'm all on board with that. Absolutely. The thing about this type of training though, that I always make sure I, I don't necessarily tell the athletes at the beginning, because I don't want them to be scared, not that they'd be scared away, but they're so focused on their sport, right? I want to keep that focus on their sport. Cause what I'll say is sport is the vehicle that get, that brings the athlete to me, but I get to work with them on so many other things. So exactly. what I say to the parents is yes, this is going to help your athlete in hockey, baseball, football, whatever it is, they will, you will see major improvements. They will level up. They will have more confidence, so on and so forth. But ultimately at the end of the day, I'm teaching them life skills and yeah. life tools that across all planes, right? So giving presentations in school, test anxiety, relationship issues, whether that's between friends or, you know, eventually boyfriend, girlfriend, that sort of thing. Um, So the things that they're learning from me are essentially tools that will help them through any sort of adversity that they might face in any situation that they're in, in their life for now and
0: (laughs) forever. I think that's so interesting because if I always have this theory that, you know, athletes have an edge, especially if they won a championship Mm. and there's something that people go through. There's this extra layer of preparation, of anticipation, even anxiety. And what do you think that is that, that then takes this person who's won this championship and then has them like catapult themselves like into their school or their career. Yeah. So winning is always fun. (laughs)
1: <laughs> of course, right we love to win especially if it's something big like a, a national championship or the league championship or whatever it is when when you go through that experience it it's sort of like um, getting that extra injection of confidence right because you've gone through it you've you've got the outcome that you wanted so on and so forth and that's really great because you can use that moving forward into the next season or into the next phase yeah. of your life and you can kind of I, I call that sort of like memory banking so you can bank that for <laughs> (laughs) future use, right? You can pull those memories up at any time. Um, So I could pull my championship win up right now, right? And use it to help propel me through this because ultimately this is performance too, right? Um, So yeah, so that adding that championship is is huge, but that's not to say that you can't um, experience what you're talking about. Right. Having never won a championship or even never winning a game, which is hard to do. If you're, if you have a long career, you're ultimately, you're going to win at some
0: point, hopefully. (laughs) Right. Right. I think that term memory banking is, is, is totally new to a lot of people and you've really given it meaning. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. And you can borrow sometimes too. You can borrow from other people. Um, Just, you know, sort of imagine what that might feel like and put yourself in that position and you can borrow um, those, that energy. Awesome. Wow. I like that. It's yeah. like
0: a, about envisioning yourself doing what maybe you've seen a friend do. And then Absolutely. very neat. You know, there are a lot of similar terms here. When you mentioned emotional intelligence, my ears perked up because that's <laughs> something that's been used a lot in business. Mm-hmm. But I, I think there are also some other common phrases like mental toughness, mm-hmm. competitive spirit, even work ethic. Is there, is this all the same stuff? Does it all work together or is it different? So it it's funny. Yes and no. So
1: mental toughness is kind of an umbrella statement that you can put a lot of things underneath. Um, and I think when we think of mental toughness, that is really what we're striving for in order to help with our mental performance, with mm-hmm. our work ethic, with, with our competitive spirit and so on and so forth. Because The mind can sabotage everything, right? Mm -hmm. So, even if we're our bodies are well trained and sort of on autopilot, a good example of this is Simone Biles in the recent, right? So, she, I mean, she's one of the greatest of all times. Her body was ready. She could do that, those routines in her sleep, essentially, right? Because her body is that well trained. But her mind wasn't there. Her mind was essentially to use the word sabotage again, it sabotaged her and she had to pull out. So, if we don't have the tools that go into making us mentally tough in any and all situations, it is going to affect our mental performance. It is going to affect our work ethic and it is going to affect our competitive spirit because we won't be able to just using work ethic. For example, if you um, make a mistake and you don't have the tools to kind of pivot and move past that, uh, maybe all of a sudden you don't feel like doing anything anymore. I don't feel like practicing this anymore. or I don't feel like putting the work or the time into this anymore, because what's the point? right? That's a perfect example. Um, So I think that mental toughness is sort of the umbrella that encompasses all of those things. And there's a lot that kind of goes into uh, providing and creating that mental toughness, if that makes sense.
0: I mean, it it does. And it brings up the old nature versus nurture comparison. Mm -hmm. How much of this are people predisposed to, so to speak, they're born with it versus how much of it's cultivated environmentally.
1: Yes, and that's that's an, such an interesting topic and we could probably spend
0: a whole <laughs>
1: other podcast talking about this, but I think there's a combination of both because there are definitely traits that are passed down um through generations, right? And it's interesting right. if, if you look at different kids um say one sibling is completely different than the other sibling and they're different than their parents if that makes sense right and so you might have two super competitive athletic parents and yet one of their children is quiet and shy and you know so on and so forth so the, those are traits that have been passed down somewhere you know throughout the generation so a part of it is nature um, right. and a part of it is also nurture because you can create these things. You can train these things, just like you go to the gym to get bigger muscles and stronger and faster, right? You can also train your brain uh, in this way to kind of help create more mental toughness, if you will.
0: Um, So I think it's a combination of of both really. Well, and I think you're definitely working with the nurture aspect of it with with the coaching that you do. Um, Absolutely. Do you find that some students are more apt to pick it up and is that just emotional intelligence or is or is there part of it like they were born with it it's in their nature
1: yeah absolutely so there's those type a people right um, I'm, I'm very type a so if I put my mind to something I'm going all in and I'm making sure that I'm doing everything I can um, and I'm also very coachable I, that's probably what you know contributed to me going as far as I did in my career. So if someone tells me, do this to get this, <laughs> I'm going to do it. Right. So I, there are those athletes that are very much like that. Um, and there are athletes that um, you know, they come to me and they, and they're literally doing everything else, the extra private training and, you know, extra coaching and and strength and conditioning and all that, that stuff. And they're still not getting what they want. They're not getting the results that they want. They're still experiencing the same issues when they're playing. And so they've with the help of the professionals that are speaking out now, they're considering this as their next option, you know? So, so yeah, it just depends. Um, I typically, have an initial consultation with the parents first to kind of get the story from them and then i also have an initial consultation with the athlete to kind of gauge where they're at in their sporting career Um, and also that emotional intelligence too um, to see if they're ready for this type of training or if they maybe need another year or um, if this is something that they even want to do because a lot of times not very often but a lot of times parents will come to me wanting me to work with their child and their child doesn't even want to be playing the sport anymore. And so that's wow. a really different conversation to have. But, but yeah, so I always kind of make sure um, I, I kind of do my due diligence in that regard, because I don't want to force anyone to do something that they're of not going they to do.
0: Yeah. Well, and I think that speaks to what you have to offer, right? Because mm-hmm. if this, if the student or the child is, um, is not enjoying themselves, and they're not getting the results that they want, and they've given up, I mean, this is really what the, the mental coaching is all about is to help them manage themselves Mm -hmm. and to help them, you know, regulate how they're feeling and, and keep on that even keel. And so when, when they come to you and they're already done, you know, maybe it would have been useful to, to be with them a year sooner before they got dejected like that.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I do, I, I try to do a lot of work surrounding that too, starting with the younger kids so that we avoid that scenario. Right. Um, but sometimes it's just, it's inevitable, right? Exactly. Um, yeah, I, yeah. Don't get them, I don't get them in time. And then at that point, you know, I just do what I can to help them make that transition out of sport or out of the current sport right. and into whatever it is they want to
0: try next. Well, I think, especially with ice hockey, it is such a physically demanding sport and a lot of it is bravado. So Mm -hmm. I can imagine, you know, how crushing it is to feel like you're not, you're not meeting the grade. And it brings up another question that I have because, and I read this from your work, I got this from you that sports and fitness and athletics are, and this is hard for me to believe, so (laughs) 10 to 20% physical. Mm -hmm. And 80 to 90% mental. First of all, did I get that right? You did. Excellent. (laughs) All right. So that's some astounding statistics. Mm -hmm. And yet when we look at the way coaches coach, uh, most of the workout with the team is physical stuff, calisthenics and drills and, and, and all sorts of, uh, practices like that. Like, so like, where does the mental coaching fit in and, and, and how come coaches aren't doing it? Great question. I'd like to ask the same thing. (laughs) (laughs) And I know you're a coach too. So (laughs) after you, after we try to figure out how do you incorporate it and then maybe we'll figure out why other people don't. Yeah. And
1: so, you know, because this is still fairly new, it's still kind of getting out there. So we're kind of in that phase where the Olympics, the Olympians and the professionals are speaking out about it. Right. And so they're the first step. I think, that's going to help getting the athletes on board and, you know, the parents of the athletes and so on and so forth. And then I think the next step is to get the coaches on board because you, we still do have a really lot, a lot of old school coaching, um, you know, who fall into that old school mentality of coaching, which is, uh, it's, okay. Um, There's a lot that kind of goes into that too. And again, that's kind of a whole topic in and of itself, Um, you know, coaching the individual as well as the team, because everybody's so different. Um, But I think that as it continues to become more and more popular and people start to see the results that take place when somebody, when athletes do implement the use of mental performance training, I think then it'll eventually trickle into, the coaching atmosphere and hopefully start to be implemented uh, a little bit more that way. I, I do, I will say I do have a lot of coaches who reach out to me wanting information on how they can start to incorporate this into their team training, which I think is magnificent. And I, I hope we continue along that trajectory, but for myself personally, you know, with the coaching and I can see why it, you know, it is challenging because you have to completely Not completely, but you kind of have to alter the way you view how you're coaching, um, if that makes any sense. So adding pressure type situations into practice would be, you know, the easiest, easiest example to give. So, for instance, there's a huge discrepancy a lot of times for athletes between playing in practice and playing in a game. Okay. You ask them, it's like, well, practice, just practice, right? Whatever. There's no pressure. I mean, but when we no crowd through, noise. <laughs> exactly. When we go To a game, all of a sudden, yes, there's the crowd, there's the other team, there's um, the desire to win, perhaps the need to win. Maybe the coach is acting a little different because his job is on the line or whatever it is now that. all of a sudden, oh my gosh, I am just really feeling this. Right. So to start to sort of bring the equivalent of that pressure into practice settings is really going to help train the athlete to be able to deal with the pressures in the game, because it it, it almost
0: won't, it'll be like, it's not any different, if that makes sense. I I think it makes perfect sense because I know in football around the Super Bowl they'll always say that a particular stadium stadium is super noisy or there's a particular wind draft when they open up the roof, right? right? Yep. And so, or the, or the climate, the air is thinner, like in Colorado. And yeah. so the athletes are always trying to mimic what the environment will be like. And so I've never thought of that under the title of mental coaching. Right. right. So absolutely, I think that's a really good way for people, as you say, to bridge their way into it. And and certainly, with Olympic athletes as the role model, um, it, it probably will make its way more and more because it's such an exciting experience um, to see someone get a gold medal and then to hear, okay, what is it that they what made them different than the other athletes? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Scary. And that is another thing I was going to add too. Uh, when you have two athletes that are of the exact same physical caliber, you know, and we go through testing right when I was in college we got physically tested at the beginning of the season and at the end of the season to kind of gauge you know what our workouts needed to be in the off season and so on and so forth and set goals for the upcoming season so you can test that stuff right so when you have two athletes that are essentially hitting all the same marks on the testing what's going to differentiate them from each other right there's something there's got to be something and it's It's absolutely the mental side of the game and how they uh, handle their adversity and what their mental toughness routine looks like and so on and so forth.
0: So, I mean, it brings up another aspect of sports, which is losing so Mm -hmm. what I mean sometimes you hear people say oh that was the best thing that ever happened to me. I lost my job and I got a a brand new trajectory, but in sports, I think losing is, is really um, it's debilitating sometimes. So what, how do you couch that in your training? Yeah. So I, we have, as a society, really negative
1: um, views on the failure, losing mistakes, right? It's something to be avoided at all costs. Um, that's sort of like the mentality that we have. And so what I try to do with all of my athletes is sort of adjust that mentality and, and get them to view losses and mistakes as something that's beneficial for them, because ultimately we need to make mistakes to be able to learn and grow. So if we never made mistakes, one could argue that we would never learn anything new, right? So by making exactly. that like, now we are able to look at it, look at it you know, objectively instead of subjectively and take the, emo- sometimes we need to feel the emotions. I, I will always tell them to feel their emotions, but when they're ready to pivot, now let's look at it as a student of the game. What happened? Where was the uh, area? I I like to even change the words that I use. I don't use the word mistake. I use the word area for improvement. What's the area for improvement? Awesome. What is the correction? Great. So how can we implement this moving forward? Right. And so now they're looking at this as a positive thing, something they've learned from, and that's going to help them when they're moving forward. And it's the same thing with, with losses, because you can look at that as from
0: an individual standpoint and also from a team standpoint too, if it's a team sport. Without a doubt. And I mean, I work with a lot of business professionals and even young professionals. And I always like to say, okay, they didn't get the job after the interview or they didn't get the interview after applying. And I always like to say, well, what did you learn? Exactly. What can we, what can we take away from this to roll into how you're presenting yourself? So next time you'll be successful. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting here trying to imagine, you know, some burly ice hockey coach <laughs> with the kid coming off that missed the shootout, right? Yep. <laughs> Saying, what did you learn? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes. Well, a lot of times, you know, they're going to need that
1: space to feel what they're feeling and, and kind of go yeah. through that emotional process and that they should 100% do that. I think another thing is we, we do as a society is we push unwanted emotions away right. and that doesn't really do any good because they just, they keep adding up, right? I always say you can only sweep things under the rug for so long before the rug becomes so huge that you face plant, right? You trip over it. So, so I think it's really important to feel what you're feeling. And then when you've moved through that process, then to kind of make that pivot in that transition and, and coaches are a huge part of that too. So if the kid is coming off and he's clearly upset, you know, it is a powerful thing for the coach to kind of get down on a knee next to him and be like, you know what, that was an amazing try. Good job. Instead of you know, something a little bit more negative, heaven forbid yelling, but, you know, or making them feel bad for losing the game for the team or so on, so on and so forth, which by the way, does happen. I work with a lot of athletes who have had coaches like that and it's really unfortunate, but, uh, but I guess that's what I'm here for to help
0: them through exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, and I think, as you said, timing is everything when emotions are running high. And mm-hmm. so I, I think if I'm going to take away, I always like to take away quotables, right? So mm-hmm. I, I already said, I liked memory banking, but I think <laughs> feel, feel what you're feeling is great advice for anyone in or outside of sports, process that out, take the time to heal and then sit down and do the analysis. And I think that's what makes the positive and the growth come. Absolutely. 100%. percent hmm So you play in a men's hockey league, so we need to talk about that. Yes, so (laughs) that's that's actually how
1: I met my husband. (laughs) Oh, wow, that's great. (laughs) Yes, we played against each other for two years, and then he finally just waited for me after one of our games, and we talked, and we haven't stopped talking. (laughs) Amazing. Um, Yeah, so, you know, playing with boys uh, my entire life, it was nothing you know unfamiliar to me to go and then just be in a men's league um right uh yeah so it's a lot of fun i I enjoyed it i i don't do it as much now as i used to just because of my my kids are are so young and and i'm tired all the time (laughs) the games are usually a bit late uh for me so but yeah no i i love it and it's just it's just so nice to just go out and get back to you know kind of what we talked about before just simply just Playing for the pure love of playing and for fun, without any pressure. I mean, we could even be losing ten nothing, and I wouldn't care. I'd <laughs> a huge smile on my face because I'm out there skating around and just having a great time. That's you know, it's that's and ultimately that is what it's all about,
0: right? Right So obviously the unisex League is a club league. It's not necessarily like a semi-professional team or anything like that, correct. Right. That's. Okay, correct. So, so now for the hard question, Danielle, <laughs> do you think that unisex hockey is appropriate, say for high school or college level? Well, I'm not sure about college. I know
1: that um, I know that there's a lot of, well not a lot, but a few females are, are kind of stepping into, AHL roles um, and, and that sort of thing. And I think that's that's great. Um, I know that there's a, an argument for safety and that's mm-hmm. why as, as females, we aren't even allowed full contact. So when we're playing in college and in an all female league, um, you're not allowed to check each other, which is a huge piece of the men's game. And actually right. it's a piece that I personally really loved about playing with boys. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved the full contact. I love checking. I loved all of that. Um, uh, and then going to college, I wasn't allowed to do that anymore. And I, needless to say, I, I think I led our team in penalty minutes my freshman year. <laughs> I couldn't turn that piece of my brain off. But um, but yeah, I you know as someone who played high school hockey with boys, and I guess. You know, quote unquote, survived. Um, I'm I'm all for it. If the if if the athletes want to do it, and if they you know feel that they can, and it's something that they want to do, then yeah, 100, go for it. It's it's a lot of fun. And I will say, just as a side note, it is a lot of fun to uh, beat boys. <laughs>
0: <laughs> if there are three tips you can give to our listeners, let's assume that we've got a lot of hockey parents out there, but also. Any sport. Mm-hmm. What would that be? No matter what level their student is at, sport is in sports. Like no matter what the physical level, what could they start doing today, in in regards to what it is you do with the mental training to see a difference? What would you recommend? Three tips.
1: Yes. Okay. So my top three tips. The first one sounds simple, but it's not always easy. Breathe. When we talk about breathing, I'm talking about like the, the belly breathing, diaphragmatic breathing. So, the more oxygen you can get into your lungs, the faster you're able to kind of calm your mind and body down. So those deep belly breaths, you know, one to three will do it. Once you calm yourself down, then, you know, I kind of call breathing my gateway tool, my gateway skill, because once we're able to calm the mind and body down, then we can insert other tools after that. But you can't unless you're calm. So is this for the
0: parent, Danielle, or the student? Both. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's for the parents in the stands yeah well
1: yes let's i mean again a whole other topic right um, yes no absolutely i use this skill on the daily with my four-year-old son. So uh, yes, because I I need to be calm. Um, But yes, no breathing. It sounds simple, but it's not always the easiest. And if you can insert something for your brain to kind of focus on while you're doing that, I call them mental focal points. Because sometimes when you're trying to take these deep breaths to calm yourself down and your mind is still racing on whatever it is that upset you, it's going to be really challenging. So if you can focus on counting the inhale or just simply stare at something or focus on your senses or whatever, you're giving your your mind something neutral to focus on and that's going to help the breath calm your mind and body down so that's my first one that's a really really good one the second one start to transition your focus focus on the process not the outcome so the the process are, are the things that are within your control for example your effort right um An example of an outcome would be scoring a goal or winning the game. Those are things that we ultimately don't have control over and and getting upset and and spending our our time thinking about that over and over again is just going to drive us crazy because we can't control it, right? So focus on your process. So the effort that you're putting in, um, how you're communicating with your teammates, um, you know, so on and so forth. Uh, If you kind of make that shift, you can always a simple way to do that is just ask yourself, do I have control over this right now? and if you do great and if you don't let it go and find something that you do and put your focus into that so that's a really good one too nice the last one watch your language it's important <laughs> it matters right so something simple instead of saying to yourself so if you have, if you got something big coming up you know we tend to say oh my gosh i'm so nervous right nervousness and excitement are so close on that emotional scale but one has a very negative connotation and the other one is more positive. So instead of saying, I'm so nervous, which is going to send you down that sort of like, you know, path of nervousness, anxiety, that negative path, right? Instead say, I'm so excited. I'm so excited, right? Because now you're kind of making that change in your brain and we're focusing more and feeling more of that positive emotion that comes with the word excitement instead of nervous. Oh, I love that. Yeah, and then another example, instead of saying I'm terrible at that, uh, you can say, um, I'm a work in progress, right? Or I can't run a mile yet instead of I can't run a mile, right? Or so a, you know, yeah, I'm getting closer every day. Exactly, yeah. yes, exactly. More of a positive spin on things. Love um, that. To go along with that too, just start to say some power statements to yourself. Affirmations is a very common word. I, I use affirmations and power statements interchangeably, but you know, telling yourself that you can do something every single day is so huge. And eventually- you'll start to program yourself to believe that, right? So if you're saying I'm a A player every single day, right? Eventually you'll, you'll start to believe that and you'll start to perform that way. And you, that confidence just kind of comes along with that too. So language, huge matters.
0: Oh, I love it. And I'm definitely going to make sure that the hockey families that are in my life listen <laughs> to this podcast. And then of course, Danielle, they're going to want to know lots more about you. So how can people find out more? What are different ways to interact with uh, you online and find out more information?
1: Yes, so I am on Instagram. Um, and my, my Instagram handle is Danielle underscore, underscore McDonough. So two underscores in between. Um, and I'm always posting lots of tips and advice and, um, you know, asking people to ask me questions and giving answers. And I'm very active in the DMS too. So, um, I think that that's a really great place to start. I also have a website, um, www.ocppt.com. And you can kind of read a little bit more about me there. Um, and I also have my first book coming out. Yes. Um, Yes. I'm so, so, so excited for this. Uh, I'm hoping to be published in August. Um, Don't know the exact date yet, but it is in the works right now. I'm working through the edits. Um, So I actually have a little link that you can click on and just sort of be added to the email list to kind of you know, keep up with the process and the progress of the book and that sort of thing, and be amongst the first to know when it's published. So you can always follow me that way too. And it's got a great title.
0: Oh, thank you. Yes. <laughs> the, the Empowered Athlete. Yes. Love it.
1: I'm very Love proud it. of that title.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, that is fantastic. And I just think this has been a great conversation that could translate to so many other genres. It doesn't necessarily have to be ice hockey or sports. I think this is emotional intelligence is something that makes people's lives better, helps them reach their potential. And I'm just so glad um, that we got to talk to you and find out about what you're doing. And I hope a lot of people get the opportunity to um, look at your website and get involved. Yes, it was such an honor to be on the podcast with you. Thank you so much for having me. I, I truly appreciate it. My pleasure. And rest assured that all of the links that you mentioned will be in the notes of the podcast. So if they can't get the spelling of the name to get into Instagram, they'll be able to click. Oh, amazing. Even better. Yeah. McDonough kind of hard to spell. So. I know. <laughs> it took me a while to find you on the gram. Yeah. <laughs> Well, thanks again, Danielle. I really appreciate your time. This Thank been, you so much, Donna. It's been great. This has been the Evocative Exchange that explores people and businesses that have that X factor. that keeps you inspired and focused on what's possible.